Hello, Merger Cricket fans, and welcome to another episode of the show this week. We have part two of our special with Scottish duo Catherine Bryce and Carl Kutzer. But first, a shout out to those who support us on Patreon. From as little as $2 US a month as a patron, you can access bonus content at Emerging Cricket and have a say on our show's direction. To sign up, log on to Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Emerging Cricket. But for now, enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Beswick. I'll be joined by Tim Cutler and Nick Skinner in a few moments' time. But first, some news from around the emerging world. In breaking news, three ICC Men's Cricket World Cup League 2 series between March and May have been postponed due to COVID-19. Oman were due to host USA and Nepal, while Papua New Guinea was set to host two tri-series in the period against Oman and Scotland in April, plus Namibia and the USA in May. The ICC has cited current travel restrictions, quarantine time and a recent surge in cases as reasons for the postponement. Three associate players have made the final cut of 292 players for the IPL auction, taking place on February 18. USA's Ali Khan, Nepal's Sandeep Lamachane, and UAE leg spinner Kartik Mayapan will all go under the hammer, with Singapore international and Australian Tim David also listed. Lamachane and Ali Khan had IPL contracts last season for Delhi Capitals and Kolkata Knight Riders, respectively. USA spinner Nisag Patel has been cleared to bowl again by the ICC after being reported for an illegal action a year ago. Patel was suspended after Cricket World Cup League 2 action in Nepal and failed testing late last year. There was not missed international cricket due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Canadian batsman Nitesh Kumar has enjoyed a successful first week in the Caribbean Super 50 with scores of 112 and 41 to begin his campaign. Batting at four against the Wynwood Islands, Kumar hit 10 fours and two sixes for his fourth list day century, though was the ninth wicket to fall in a 31-run defeat. Kumar backed up his effort with a knock of 41 or 49 balls against Barbados, with his side successfully chasing a target of 302. Kumar's next game is against Guyana on Saturday. Ireland's men's tour of Zimbabwe has been postponed due to further COVID complications with the home nation making the call. The two teams are slated for ODI Super League action later in the year with the Irish hosting three matches in August. Meanwhile, the Zimbabwean women's team's home series with Pakistan has ended abruptly after changes to the travel policies of the visiting side's air carrier. Pakistan's flights scheduled for the 21st of February were cancelled, forcing the team to travel home nine days earlier. A new UAE T20 Franchise League has been sanctioned by the Emirati Cricket Board with the competition planned for either December 2021 or January 2022. An agreement was signed during the week with the prospective league likely to follow similar franchise competitions. UAE's last attempt at a franchise league, the UAE T20X in 2018, collapsed just a month before the scheduled tournament opener after three of the five franchises failed to be sold. And finally, Netherlands bowling all-rounder Logan van Beek has pledged his allegiance to Forberg for the 2021 top class of season. The 30-year-old played for HCC nine years ago and last played for the Dutch national team at the 2016 World T20. That's all the news in the Emerging Game this week. For more, log on to EmergingCricket.com. Coming up next, part two of our special with Carl Kutzer and Catherine Bryce. But first, I'm joined by Tim and Nick to discuss the Abu Dhabi T10 and the USA squads named this week. Hi, I'm Fabio Marabini from the Italian Cricket Board. Welcome to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. 
Uh, the USA, and last week we spoke about their men's squad and their aspirations for full membership. This week they've come out with women's training squads. Uh, we had 44 players named in the men's squad last week. Nick and I, I suppose we were quite jovial about that and how much time they're going to need to to get through all of those players and to think of how many you know members of staff they're going to need for that as well. On the women's side, it's a little bit uh, more streamlined. Just 28 players, as Nick put it, in the in the production sheet before we got started. Uh, also naming an under-19 team or an under-19 squad as well. A couple of points to mention there in a sec. But yeah, Nick, the drove, the publicity, and, and the uh, USA cricket train continues to move forward. Yeah, it's interesting to see this many players being assembled for a, yeah, a training camp or you know whatever's going on there. <laughs> The thing that I'll question is, you know, where's where's Price getting her players from? You know, Julia Price, the head coach, because she's, you know, she's not in the US as far as we can tell. There's there's no women's club cricket going on, um, as far as we know. Uh, where where are these players coming from? The, the, uh, um, we we did see some quotes from Richard Doan talking about how uh, this will help them, you know, get a look at the squads that they might be building going forward with a number of events in the women's game coming up. Um, and he actually is in the US, so that's that's helpful. And I assume Price would be relying quite heavily on, on him and you know the network of local coaches. But yeah, I, it, I'm just a bit sort of curious as to what the strategy here is in terms of building a team because they're not selecting you know high performers from the domestic scene because there is almost no domestic scene for women in in the US which is a um a, an area that they've they've said they want to address going forward in their their growth plan but yeah I, I I will be interested to see where this goes I'm supposed it's what they have to do at this point because as you said if there's a lack of a domestic structure and there's a lack of a equal playing field for a lot of these players to to showcase their skills, they, they're just going to have to put them in the same group and and filter through as they are with the men's squad. The only difference being there's a slight difference in the number of um, players in each of those squads. Just saw two squads noted with under-19s. You know, I think you've got to remind everyone as well, the ICC announced recently that there'd be an under-19s women's event as well as the under-19 men's. Have we seen anything more about the qualification pathway for that event or where the event will be hosted? I was under the impression that due to the current pandemic that it was going to be very difficult for that to be put up in terms of qualifiers and we might see a slightly abbreviated version of what they wanted to achieve there, but that's through, you know, hearsay. It's amazing news that we're going to have an under-19s Women's World Cup as well, you know, how much we get to talk about the opportunities given to the the region's uh, associate representative coming coming into the, the men's event uh, can only hope that the the women's tournament is the same size. But I guess history tells us that uh, in general, women's World Cups are smaller than men. So maybe there, there might only be a spot for one associate or maybe one outside of that that top eight, which might mean there's even fewer chances for an associate to get through. But no, I just wondered if you'd, you'd seen anything because it was one of those things that really piqued my interest to see that sort of completes the picture because it makes no sense really why we, we don't have an under-19s women's event. A couple of other things that I just noticed from from the squad, and I'm not sure if this was an oversight, but there are a couple of players who are named in the senior squad but not named in the under-19. So we saw Maryland prodigy Lisa Ramjet both in the senior and under-19 squad, but Gitsuke Kodali, who I believe is... 16 or 17 only in the senior squad so i'm not really sure what the exact plan is there but yeah again 
you know, thinking about the, the lack of domestic structure, you are going to need a, a certain trialing process to, I suppose, put together a squad of, of, say, 16 to 20 players that you can realistically say, well, this is a team for the for the senior qualifying events uh, heading towards another T20 World Cup. And yeah, with under-19 cricket, potentially, hopefully around the corner, they have that sorted at that end as well. Well, and that's just one of the other benefits of, you know, having this um, expanded women's under-19 World Cup program really is that, is that it provides an incentive and we've seen this with Japan getting there and Nigeria and you know, a number of teams just having that incentive of the under-19s World Cup being the the goal at the end of the you know the light at the end of the tunnel if you want to put it that way that just having that incentive gets the members to to invest in youth cricket and probably I mean youth cricket is one of the few pathways that does exist in American cricket that <laughs> makes any sense so having that for the women is a good step forward uh, plenty of potential there and we'll keep our eye on it Moving to UAE, and we've seen the Abu Dhabi T10 over the last week or so. We've seen a few comments around from certain people talking about the prospect of having T10 in the Olympics and and looking at the standard of play that's been going over on the last over the last week. Seen some some great performers from an associate point of view, and we will talk about them. But generally speaking, and and Nick, I'm sure you've watched a little bit of it. What's your take on on this format of the game? We've already got three very good formats of international cricket. We haven't seen international cricket of T10 in any sort of form. And now all of a sudden we're thinking, well, people out there are thinking, well, T10's the vehicle for the Olympic Games. I'm scratching my head a little bit. I'm hoping you kind of have the same idea as me. Where do you think all of this is coming from? Well, you say people are saying this. Uh, People who are being directly paid by the T10 League are saying this. And and the you know I think the T10 league is trying very hard you know the old uh, marketing strategy of uh, getting enough people to say it enough times and eventually it becomes true sort of thing they just keep saying it oh yeah let's get you know T10 for the Olympics isn't it, it was Owen Morgan was saying it a number of times for the last few years and I think if Sangakara and Chris Gale might have been on the bandwagon now all players who are you know in, <laughs> involved in the tournament so they have a you know shall we say an incentive to be uh, to be making these comments um <laughs> in terms of the actual format yeah i'm not i'm not a huge fan of T10 i think it's it's unbalanced i think you know once you're getting down to that level of uh, you know such a short innings i think you're better off probably going down the road of you know like 8v8 sort of thing or even the hong you know like the hong kong sixes so i think t10 having a full team of 11 on each side doesn't quite work as as a format and you know looking at this idea of the olympics you want the olympics to be the most you know attractive the most appealing dynamic the format that's going to get people interested in the game and i don't think t10 is that format i think there's a perfectly good expansion vehicle and that's t20 and t20 is very successful and there's nothing that t10 does that t20 doesn't do really um you know might make the case for for time constraints but even then if you just enforce over rates in t20s i think that would go a long way to helping so i i I just don't really see the need for t10 it just seems superfluous really and, and it doesn't it's not fun in the same way as like the sixes or an eight-player competition would be, and it's not serious in the same way as even T20 is. So it's just sort of awkwardly stuck in the middle for me. It's one of those things that kind of we giggle every year, don't we, when we see it's oh Owen Morgan's being rolled out again to tell us that T10's the perfect vehicle for the Olympics. You know, Kumar Sankara was quoted 
speaking about it. I don't know for those listening in, in Australia. You know, we had the uh, the Alan Jones. Was it Alan Jones or no? John Law's Cash for Comment saga, where you know radio talk host was basically fined for talking about a certain entity uh, when he'd been paid to, but not disclosing it was an ad. I don't know if it's any different with with cricketers. Is it You'd like to know whether they're actually being being told to say something or not? Because as you said, Nick, you know, it's being said over and over and over again. You know, I think the only way that we're going to see T10 in the Olympics, if the BCCI was suddenly to say, yeah, we'll, we'll come to the Olympics, but we're only going to play T10. And then all of a sudden, I think you'd be seeing potentially the ICC going with the, uh, with the flow there. You know, we'd, and we all know the story of India not wanting to play T20 and sending their almost second string or young team to the first world t20 and winning it and then all of a sudden say well there's you know there's something in this i don't know whether something similar with uh with t10 or in the same vein whether they're trying to create a the distance between t20 which the bcci you know you can safely say own now or at least to the leaders with the ipl saying well okay well here's a chance for another product for us to to see but yeah i don't know we we, we come at this from a died in the wool cricket fans that started watching you know in our case well my case the 80s you guys in the uh, the late 90s and, and 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 love and started watching test cricket and odi cricket and then t20 I, i'd be interested if they were to do when i and I have a vision of, uh, you know, Simpsons when they do the testing with the kids and the dials of which, you know, w- when they're getting a new character for Itchy and Scratchy and they end up with Poochie, the combination of all the silly ideas. Kid really likes the Speedo Man. <laughs> but but to, to get, um, you know, feedback from people who are new to cricket to see whether this is something that they, they like, whether this is something that gets into the game or is it just popcorn entertainment that isn't actually that interesting and is sort of not deep enough to, to appreciate the, the nuances of cricket. You know, it's like, oh, it's more like baseball, but it's not even like baseball at 90 minutes. You know, it's like a, you know, that's not trying to be more like baseball with lots of hits or lots, or trying to be like, what's it trying to be like? And it's trying to be less and less like cricket and almost a combination of, of the highlights, you know, when you skip around, you play all the sixes or play all the wickets and just, and, and crunching it all together and there's more to cricket than that however if that if that's going to get more people in the door interested in cricket then it's a worthy conversation but until there's actually data on this yeah i I find it i I, you know i hope no one's listening but i've not watched a second of of, of t10 and this is a guy that (laughs) thought that sixes could be something to get to get in the olympics but that's that's showing how interested I am and how little other cricket is going on. Uh, yeah, the baseball comparison really annoys me. I think baseball's closer to test cricket than any shorter format cricket. I think anyone who has this idea of baseball being a home run derby has basically just been watching sports and highlights of every single game and haven't actually sat down and watched the game. But to bring it back to the idea of 2020, Dave Richardson and the ICC talked about vehemently that T20 was going to be the global vehicle for the game. And now you're going to turn around to every single ICC member and say, oh, actually, you know, if we're going to have these Olympic aspirations. It's T10 now, guys. You've just given status to every single one of these members. They've basically earmarked T20 as, as their vehicle to, to move forward in the cricket world. And now you're going to turn around and say, oh, no, we actually want T10 now. And looking at LA, you know, as the 2028 Olympics hosts, and while there are murmurs of potential, you know, sites for 
cricket. You've got four turf wickets at Woodley. I think two of them are good, the other two not so good. But you would think that, you know, given six to seven years planning, you'd be able to put them up to a decent standard knowing that you've got cricket there. What's the shame in having simulcast matches where there's multiple games being played? You can stream your options to, to how you watch that event. You can do yourself with the, the streaming capabilities available. It just seems to be this reluctance to have more than one game on at the same time. That's where I think that the T10 idea kind of comes from. Well, this is where you can look at the 2020 Team World Cup formats that Russ Degnan's come with. That it, you know, if you play the first few rounds concurrently, and these days there is the tech, the, you know, you think of red button, that's old school on a, on a Foxtel remote, <laughs> yeah. but to be able to watch uh, either game. But it's funny you mentioned America for 2028 because. Didn't they announce that uh, T10 yes. is also yeah. moving to the the USA <laughs> in one of the most bizarre? Like it's, it was it was choreographed. They've said, "Oh, we'll stop the game, or it's a pause between you know innings, and we've got a big announcement." Uh, Danny Morrison says, and it goes to two guys on stage who look like you know they want to be there's anywhere guns else. on them. There's go <laughs> on, on like out, out of screen. Out, would you know? And the fact that they're looking to expand and 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 grow the game of cricket and. In that respect, I am next to, I didn't catch his name, he was sort of mumbling, so-and-so from USA. We're expanding to USA, and then silence, and then he walks off stage. No other details. <laughs> no other details. Yeah, the other guy didn't even say anything. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, you know, jokes aside, uh, has USA Cricket signed off on this you know we saw what happened when the gt20 canada wanted to have a team called new york that was never going to have any connection with new york except on their shirt and that was kiboshed by um, usa cricket you know usa cricket has just signed a billion dollar deal for minor and major league cricket culminating in in what they're hoping will be top five size t20 leagues in the world are they also going to allow a pop-up which it more or less is t10 event to be played in the US, you know, it's a, it's a big question because, you know, the positives are guaranteed spots for USA players, games in US cities and exposure and a different time zone um, if you're trying to get the USA market watching. But you've got a question if this is true, how much does it dilute the brand they're trying to develop with Major League Cricket, which is actually a, a pretty strong brand when you think about American sports. So I, I don't know, it was an interesting uh, announcement because you would not be able to run that in the US without it being sanctioned by USA Cricket. So very intrigued to, to hear more about how this is going to going to all work. Yeah, a lot of people get stars in their eyes about the, you know, the amount of dollars in cricket in America and you know, we've seen a lot of leagues proposed that never actually happened. So, I'm, I'm going to go with Peter Delapena's rule here and I'll believe it when the first ball is bowled. We'll take a little break. Coming up, part two of our special with Kyle Kutzer and Catherine Bryce. Hi, this is Dutch Fast by Paul van Makeren and you're listening to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Catherine is being so polite and not saying a word. She just is being like just watching us go on like a bunch of <laughs> anything to offer without us yelling over you there, Catherine. You know, from your perspective, I think the way that women's cricket has developed and been supported so much in the recent past, but you know, associate cricket is the poor cousin to full member cricket. Women's cricket, the way that it's been supported, is just another step back again. You know, where, where, how do you reflect on that when people are talking about associate cricket when you think about what women's cricket has gone through as well? Yeah, I think there's been a real push, especially at that, like that grassroots level of a lot of the participation and getting as many people involved um, and kind of sp spreading the word as much as possible. But although there's probably been 
increase in funding and stuff there's not probably been a massive step forward in like associate women's cricket in terms of the opportunities to get to that next step so um like I've probably mentioned earlier like that increase of the world cup um number of teams and even like something new like the commonwealth games is probably an opportunity to maybe make it whatever you want it to really um yeah I think that's probably where there's probably a bit of a hurdle and like the full member nations are able to they've got professional players at the top and they're able to start building a more professional structure of domestic cricket um but I think it's quite challenging to really push on with like the same sort of funding but hopefully if you can get a reg- a good regional structure below and like I said with the under 19 um women's world cup coming in hopefully that'll really increase the opportunities for for some younger players to get that exposure and then when they come to the women's team it's not as big of a step it's probably we lost quite a few players that finished under 17s sort of level and weren't quite ready for the women's team and didn't necessarily have have anywhere to go and have dropped out and done other things but I think if you've got that next level um to keep to keep them going and um increase that exposure um for them ready to step in into the women's game at, at the global level. <laughs> Thank you very much, Carl. Putting up a funny background there to ruin that. I answer. do apologise for that. I didn't think it would come on just then. I thought I had a. I, I was waiting for the moment for it to finish. Yeah, time. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> International cricket captain, everyone, Carl Kurtzer. And Zoom <laughs> troll extraordinaire. <laughs> Yeah, so Catherine, you just on that idea of you know you, you mentioned players being you know, lost to the game because there's nowhere for them to go after they they sort of progress through the underage structure and maybe they can't quite make the jump to the national team. Just looking at you know Scottish cricket more generally, obviously there's a there's a strong club scene um, in Scotland, but in terms of the mainstream kind of mind space of cricket and you know, drawing more people into the game as opposed to you know, losing them as as they sort of drop out and, and uh, pursue their lives, you know, how do you see Scotland, Cricket Scotland or, or the national teams or indeed the, you know, the club scene, how do you see cricket in Scotland trying to, you know, bring people in and, and you know, expand? Because it does have a very uh, a long history in Scotland, you know, we, we've seen um, Jake Perry's book uh, about the history of uh, Scottish cricket and, and, you know, there's loads of cricket that's that's always been played in Scotland, but it, it does have a bit of a, you know, historical image problem. So, I, I guess... You know, how do you see other Scots um, getting enthused with, with the sport? I think um, developing a stronger women's club club section, not just, I think it's, it's a lot better in Edinburgh and it's quite strong up north around like Aberdeen. They've got some good women's club teams. So I think it's important to kind of develop them as much as possible around kind of the whole country so that's probably where you see at the moment Scotland have got two um regional teams you've kind of got the east and the west and the north whereas the men's kind of split into four so hopefully that'll grow into three teams I think it's the plan in the near future and then hopefully expand into to the four teams to have that stronger competition but I think you wanted to keep the competition as high as possible but always kind of goes down lower and probably having the stronger club structure in Edinburgh keeps around more good female cricketers um, around that area that can then feed into the regional stuff above so it's difficult to know exactly how to start on that but I think it's making it as um, as welcoming as possible for for women's teams and some clubs are great at that and, and getting them involved but it's 
yeah, hopefully trying to spread that to as many clubs as possible. Yeah, can I add, add a little bit to that? And I know there's been lots of good work done around sort of trying to increase the exposure and airtime, I guess, of the women's game back and the men's game. But I, I, I still think there's more gears to go there. You know, there should be as, as much as, um, you know, what Catherine's already experienced in Scotland and the players before her and, you know, the previous captain, Abby, and these, these players, and I've said it about the men's team for the last few years, they need to find a way of, of making these players better, well-known around the country, uh, if we're speaking Scotland specifically, and, and making them stand out to be icons of the game, you know, in the country, so that people see that, that well, the women's game is, is an avenue that girls want to go and, and play. And trying to develop the men's side, it's the same, you know, that these, these players need to be made icons uh, and be given greater exposure through the game but also being linked with you know possibly various businesses perhaps that help help increase that exposure so like this you can speak about everything from the grassroots and up but I, I do certainly think our internal uh, regional system needs to continually be developed for the men's side uh, which I know there's been lots of direction put towards that and, and work being put in there but uh, I just think trying to make people see and recognise our players to be actually as good as what, what they are, because look at the world rankings in terms of where the Scottish team is in, in the world. That's it's pretty amazing, really, in the men's and the women's in comparison to other sports, if that if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, it's one of those things. Oh, we, we know that, don't we? Um, it's funny, just as you're talking, and Catherine mentioned the clubs, and we had a similar conversation about uh, the Nether- Netherlands and their development of women's cricket. And one of the things the Netherlands is, well, well such a long history club cricket and a lot of clubs that only have singular teams and, and might not necessarily be behind the national body and really only concentrate on on their club and club first. I, I don't want to draw any parallels to, to Scotland, you know, quite the opposite. It's more just as sort of an open open question. You know, is there an opportunity, you know, as Carl mentioned about that, the regional um, system, if we could call it the, the quasi-first class system, is that an opportunity for the women's cricket to be centred around those those regions and be, be focused in, in zones as opposed to looking at a club system that might be all too uh, few and far between? Or are there enough women's players at the moment to stock club competitions in, in all of those those regions of Scotland at the moment? There's probably not enough at the moment to really have a good base of players in all clubs around Scotland. So having that sort of regional structure, a few more regional teams um, around the country, I think could really benefit. But it's probably been kind of the resources that they've had in different places. It's been a lot stronger, definitely what we've had in Edinburgh in terms of facilities and the coaching available there. So I think finding people that are more regionalised based that that are willing to really help um, progress the women's game and have good quality coaches in each of these areas because you can't teach yourself how to do everything and I think having having that guide there and having good quality coaching as consistently as possible I think would be really important so you can get four or five different hubs if you like um, around the country with good resources and good facilities and be really important. Would there be the opportunity for recruiting from other sports as well in the women's game, especially with approaching Commonwealth Games? You know, we hear about, you know, the Netherlands and the Sporting Society and hockey and, and all these other sports. Do you see it similarly for Scotland? Yeah, it's probably something we've not really done much of in the past is, is looking at different sports. But yeah, I think maybe if you can get it into schools and more, uh, 
at high school level um, and trying to encourage them to get get more more girls that have played hockey in the winter term to come along and play cricket. Um, I think you can the athletic people. Um, you could probably tap into into the skills that they've already got. Um, a lot more and to bring it across to cricket just to increase the numbers Um, but it's probably not something that's been done massively so far in Scotland. Kind of leads into a question that Shanak Saka, one of our contributors, uh, had sent to us. I suppose as a kind of spin-off from it, what's the image of cricket to people outside the the bubble of cricket in Scotland? Is there a a perceived stereotype of cricket? Because Shanak brought up the idea that it, it seems to have almost this posh and, and snobbish kind of image. Do you guys see that at, at any point? Do we see it? Uh, I mean, I've certainly heard people not say it in the kindest words and say, you know, it's possibly along those lines of being a bit posh, perhaps. Uh, but then I never, and you never really see them standing in front of someone bowling at them at about 80 miles an hour and then thinking it's posh, you know. So yeah, um, it, it's always easy for someone to make those comments, I guess. And I, I would probably say the generalisation is that, yes, it's probably perceived in, in that way in terms of... But I think that's that's slowly changing and it's part of Cricket Scotland's job, I guess, to keep developing that perception of the, of the game. Uh, and, you know, and that's the way that they can help increase exposure and get more people in, involved. And the more people that you do see involved, they come around very quickly to, this is a great game, but it's nothing like I thought it would be like, you know. So, um, But it's also important for us, look, just touching what Cassim said before about facilities and stuff. Look, we, we do our best and there's never any excuses about facilities, but it would be great to eventually have our own facility that we would call home. Uh, we're very grateful of the grounds that, let that you know, when they let us use them and they prepare good pitches and, and whatnot and facilities for us to train under. But it would be nice for us to have our own one day. I know that is in, in the eyes of the organisation to try and get there, but also to help maintain our, our players and the, the professional side of it. You know, we, we're very grateful of the sponsors that we do have who help out, but it would be it would be vitally important for someone to maybe come on board at some stage to to really give the backing that the this this organisation and the, the players need to pushing where we need to get to. So, um, like I said, we are grateful for those sponsors but there there's a huge opportunity i think for um a major sponsor to come in and really help push the organization cricket scotland to a special place a journey it's just teetering on the edge at the moment it could be a really special journey whoever wants to join on that geez i know what uh, you could be doing when your playing days are over uh, who whoever's sitting in that commercial director seat at cricket scotland should be um, <laughs> not getting getting too comfortable um i'm sure twist Bez's question a little bit, Catherine, because I think Kyle answered the sort of the posh question from a broader term, but a a lot of the times we see cricket in associate nations break into the local population through the women's game, Mm. you know, Hong Hong Kong and various other other associate nations is an example there, where in Scotland, you're not fighting that battle generally, but do you think the women's game, actually the women's, well, sorry, women's cricket has a, a greater opportunity of actually breaking into the community without having that image that maybe the, the men's version of the sport does? Yeah, possibly. I think probably the background that people have of it is probably not as strong as what a lot of boys and men growing up would have of this gentleman's sport. So there's probably that um, opportunity to have a slightly different narrative but I think a lot of the problem maybe is the coaching that comes through schools is probably a lot more based in private schools and so the access 
to be able to, to get coaching um, and even be introduced to the sport comes a lot of the time through those kind of systems. Um, so as much as possible, I think getting into to primary schools and just delivering sessions um, as much, much as possible and kind of getting different parents on board um, that maybe got boys that are playing cricket um, to get their daughters to come along instead um, and also join in cricket, I think is, is a really great way of getting them involved. But I think if you can make it if you can get it coached at as many schools as possible in PE lessons or anything like that, if, if you can make it as simple as possible to kind of teach teachers how to deliver simple, quick cricket sessions, um, just so people know know what the sport is without it being a chance that they've they've turned up to a cricket session or seen it somewhere. I know Scotland's part of the um, the All Stars Kids Outreach Program. Have you seen much success with that in in Scotland? Yeah, definitely seen seen it grow over. So I remember there was some like small schools competition maybe that was held at Ducat Park, and probably when I went there was maybe five or six um, little teams going around. And then a few years later, you know, the whole place was absolutely packed with loads of kids coming along and playing quick quick cricket. So I think a lot more schools are invested in and kind of taking that next step. But it's then also getting them to find somewhere to go and and get involved with hardball cricket as well. Um, but I think the All-Stars programme uh, has definitely grown the game a lot from the grassroots level. Going back about 18 months or so ago, and, and I remember the the story that we ran, oh, it might have been Jake Perry actually, talked about the Harriet's school and how that ground was set to you know face a threat of, of redevelopment, turning it into hockey surfaces and through the work of campaigning and, and protestation, you guys were, manage, were able to manage uh, to to save that ground from from potential extinction. So it's not as if you know there there hasn't really been an issue of of people power per se. Kyle, you you touched on it. It's probably more from a from a financial standpoint where where Scotland probably needs to go next. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think those are. You know, it's a, it's a great ground, Harriet's, you know, just touched on that. And they've been very good to us and letting us use their facility when, when we've needed to. And they've been involved at the T20 World Cup qualifiers and they produce some brilliant pitches. So it was, it was great to see the outpouring of people who are desperate for that ground to stay in, in action um, because it is such a, such a good venue and, and facility. But yeah, the funding is, is, you know, we have our challenges as does any organization, you know, and, and it's just, it's finding ways to ch- maximize what we have to get the, the best learning opportunities and, and the best options we can for, for the organization. But yeah, like I said, the avenue of, uh, of a, a major sponsor um, is something that's sort of been evading us for, for a little while. And the fact that we have World Cups in the pipeline and such good development with what we already have, there's, a, there's certainly a scope there to be part of a really special journey over the next couple of years to hopefully full member status if that's something that we get to. So funding is a huge Huge thing. Carl, we haven't even had the chance to, to talk to you about your experience uh, with the England women's team there. Um, what was your role there? I just sort of caught glimpses of, of that. What were you What were you doing? Yeah, it was it was an amazing experience. To be honest, uh, it, it kind of it came around a little bit by chance. There are uh, some some of the members of staff that were you know potentially stuck overseas and and stuff like that, so they needed an extra pair of hands to help um, help with the, the team during their their sessions and you know they were in, in bubbles and doing everything outstandingly well to be honest well well organized and I was asked to come down and help and as I was as I was driving down the first time actually Boris Johnson was announcing the third lockdown so I was a bit like well should I still be going or shouldn't I so I was in, in the car at the time 
but yeah, that was that was amazing. My my first my first task actually was, and it's a bit of a story behind it. First task was actually to to go and help Heather Knight with um, some of her batting. So I was like, wow, I was like, I was properly like nervous, you know. I, I was a bit in awe with some of the players there. And it was, you know, watching play on TV and and all that, and you know. It was just nice to meet them, but I was properly nervous. And, and Heather said, oh, do you mind giving me a few underarms? And I, anyone who's ever experienced it, but I got the under underarm yips. <laughs> oh, God, yes. I know all about that. I couldn't throw it. And I was like, oh, my God. I'm so glad it happens to someone else because, honestly, you overthink <laughs> that so much. And the throwdowns, too, in the more Oh, God. And um, it was a bit of a laughing, laughing point, but... Like I, I managed to get through it just, I just got through it. And I, I've experienced people not being able to throw it before. And, and um, it's never something that's ever happened to me, to be honest. I've always been fine. And obviously it was the nerves and, you know, really keen to, you know, help them out the best I can. And uh, the next morning I had to go to Heather and I went, Heather, I'm really sorry. Um, but I got the yips yesterday. And she's like, were those yips? Because she says she's seen a lot worse. So that made me feel a bit better. Oh, so Look, that's smooth. Genuine leader there. See, he brought you back into the fold. Oh, it's probably when I mean, you walked away, she eyes rolled, asking someone else to come over and underarm the ball. <laughs> the, the next day, she next day she came in and goes, "I bet you're glad to know that I'm not asking you to throw me some underarms today." So I was like, "Yeah, no, I'm pretty chuffed with that." But yeah, they 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 were a really great bunch. And to keep it short, actually, in actual fact, there's a lot of similarities to the the women's game from from their point of view and, and the associate game in terms of players actually end up playing international cricket in all due respect probably before they're they're ready and they're getting thrown into situations because of the lack of games and the lack of competition that they have leading up to that so i was able to share methods in which we try and expose our players to try and learn faster so that they're not learning everything on the international scene so there were some really cool Cool uh, and interesting things in there, and you know they're a great bunch, and they're currently quarantining in New Zealand at the moment, um, in prep for their their series out there. So yeah, really, really nice to be involved. And in. so you've been working with the England women's team, and and you just mentioned New Zealand, and I think of New Zealand, I think of Mark Chapman who played for Hong Kong and then played for for New Zealand. There there are a couple of talented sisters that play cricket for for Scotland at the moment, but they they live in the UK and or live in live in England and university and have professional contracts. <laughs> Here we go. One of the questions from oh, look, someone's got to ask it because you know it was it was asked by one of the contributors. The the elephant in the room. Yeah. If England wanted to select you, Catherine, what are the thoughts and considerations going through your mind? Assuming you're eligible, I'm not sure in terms of the sort of age group and when when your eligibility is counting. But um, yeah, I think we're el- eligible having lived here for two years. I think it is. So, yeah, we are eligible. Um, <laughs> it's difficult. Um, because I think the better that's the, I think for someone like Lee Kasprick, when she went off to try and play for, for New Zealand, Scotland weren't really playing in any global tournaments or anything like that. So it was probably a lot easier to, to go off and try and pursue um, a professional career. So I think the better that's doing them, the more World Cups we, you qualify for, the more challenging decision it'll be if it ever happens. So can I make that decision? But I think with having professional contracts uh, in the Rachel Hayhoe Flint kind of tournament makes it more um, it's more feasible to, to be able to play professional cricket but still also be able to play for Scotland because there's kind of that career path whereas I think in the past if you wanted to play professionally you had to be playing for England or Australia or India and teams like that um, so I think if 
if there can be more opportunities worldwide, whether it's getting more Scottish players playing in things like the WBBL and the IPL and more franchise cricket like that, um, it means that the people don't have to kind of look for for other opportunities to to keep on playing cricket professionally. Yeah, it'd be it'd be a difficult decision. It came around and just whether it would be like a long term thing or whether it's just like getting picked for one series to possibly play a game. Um, yeah, challenging. Very diplomatically answered, and I think it would probably go for any of us. Well, Kyle is from an associate, but any of us in, in a similar situation, it's like, it's it's a difficult one, isn't it? <laughs> Big. It's a very it's a very difficult one, very difficult one. I did actually, Tim. I did enjoy how um, you managed to bring it around to Hong Kong actually, and Mark Chapman <laughs> before it went all the way around to Catherine. So that was pretty well done from you. Look, I'm I'm all about the segues. You know, you asked how like how do we know everything? I don't know anything. I, my speciality is just having segues to the next section on the podcast. <laughs> that's that's all I bring. That and and Simpsons references, and the fact that I haven't done one Simpsons quote says how good the content is today. But um, yeah, look, it's it wasn't trying to uh, to paint you in a corner. Catherine, I think it's a well. Anyone else in the world at the moment? It's one of the examples, of, and I don't want you, you two are individuals and individual cricketers, but two very talented sisters pl- playing in a full member nation and performing really well. It's um, I think it's almost something that's like God. Can people stop talking about them, please? You know, the more they get, the more they get talked about. It's like yes, your contracts. Yeah, well done, well done. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Can you just not score runs today? Thank you very much. But um, <laughs> it's a it's a well earned you know credit though that deserving of the exposure you know so um if that decision does come around you know it's one that i'm sure people will understand so i'll keep it very diplomatic but you you majority of times you earn what what comes your way so a staple on the emerging cricket pod with each and every guest that we have on here is to ask them if they were to change a law any law in cricket what would it be in why now i think we've already asked Carl at some point so we'll leave you second if you have an update on your particular law that you want shifted so Catherine I know you're there racking your brain trying to find something to change from this beautiful beautiful game that we do or enjoy if you could change a law in cricket what would it be and why uh that's a challenging question we need the tiktok music in the background <laughs> the jeopardy music <laughs> um it can be. It can. Can it be as weird and wacky as you want it to be? Absolutely. Yeah. We welcome those. As weird and wacky as your Zoom background at the moment, my friend. <laughs> I saw Jim Maxwell arguing for there to be no leg buys. Well, leg buys not to count as runs. Oh, I did this see week. that. I think when Quick Info said, you know, post your most controversial cricket opinion. It's interesting to see Alex Hale saying. Uh, Man cads are okay in T20s, but uh, Jim Maxwell peddling the leg buys should not count as runs. Well, Catherine's an all-rounder, so she's got, like, she has it from both sides, doesn't she? Yeah, it's not like you can attack one and be like, I'm a batter, so this is what's going to happen. Or ball, <laughs> well, wicket keepers, nobody likes wicket keepers. Oi. You change something in their game, they're not allowed to wear gloves anymore. You know? <laughs> Sorry, I'll let you answer. Um, I think I think leg buys should be added to the batsman's runs. There we go. <laughs> oh, yes. So if you were good enough to get in the way, you should get a run. Yeah. Kyle's just relinquished his bowling card for the rest of his career with that take as well. <laughs> and I just realised having a go at wicketkeepers there that a Catherine, your, your sister's one. Mm. Yeah. Um, and B, I got her degree wrong in the uh, the ICC awards show, so I got to apologise. I said she was doing law when she's doing maths, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, she said she was like, "I'll take that. It's fine." <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. 
you know, hopefully, Sarah, you're listening and you can, you know, accept my apology. But, um, yeah, I, was like, oh, and I didn't want to stop everyone. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a call with all these names of cricketers that I've, I've watched. It was like, go back when you No. But that doesn't mean you don't have to answer the question. <laughs> yeah, we're not letting you escape <laughs> this. Um, it's not easy, this. No, I don't know. Maybe, well, they like, don't you get to keep the ball in like baseball if you catch it in the crowd? Innovation. We'll take that. It could be quite expensive, though, especially for associate cricket. I don't know <laughs> if that's the best idea. <laughs> Oddie Ambo yeah. running out with the balls in uh, at yeah. Athens Park. Considering so, we so had to use Kookaburra regulations in the Blitz rather than Kookaburra turf, <laughs> because the difference in price was about ninety, you know, ninety dollars, ninety US dollars. It's like, oh no, no, no. We had the uh, the ball with the the more prominent seam to make it, you know, more of a bowler's game. It's like. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like <laughs> Yeah, and you make you make this ball's not doing very much. It's just lob it up a little bit and yeah, see if yeah, it yeah. can get hit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll get a new one soon. <laughs> that is something that baseball does do a lot better than cricket, doesn't it? In terms of cheaper ball, cheaper entry there. In terms, of, like, the balls are about what fifteen dollars each or something along those lines. Yeah, probably yeah, if that. I like that. Good innovation. Tim, you haven't you haven't mentioned the fact that you were involved in setting up the Hong Kong Blitz yet, but oh, was he? <laughs> I'm pretty sure they went through they went through quite a few cricket balls. I loved the ball counter that they had for every single lost one. Just another tick, little bottom right graphic that they had. How many balls did you end up using, Tim? Well, I was gone by then. That was um, I'll, I'll give good friend Max Abbott kudos for that. But that was a good idea, wasn't it? The ball counter because there's a fence over there that you, you won't you wouldn't get it back from and. Um, I thought I just mentioned it before when saying it, but yes. No, I thought that was, again, that was a good invasion. And it was a lot cheaper with the regulations rather than the turf balls. Kyle, you, you still haven't answered, have you? Okay, so um, mine was, um, I, I would like to see in the shortest format of the game, some version of a mulligan for a, a bowler or a batsman. Would you only have so many each game? And so if something happened on someone's first ball, they could call it. So a bit like moving the power play, you know, you could say, you know, you get one one reversible decision or something that would be a, st- a strategic mulligan yeah yeah um and and maybe you maybe you have to announce who that person is who has the potentially has the mulligan before the start of play so the x-factor player but the mulligan player yeah, yeah. i like it there we go it's a bit out there it'd be like doing fantasy wouldn't it like when you pick your captain at the start of the game and then yeah you know look as silly as you generally are that's you know when you think of um, short format cricket perhaps you know, if you can kind of X factor players in and out, you don't even, it's not even a, uh, a challenge to a decision. It's like, no, nah, we're reversing that. That's not happening. Back out you go. <laughs> it's like a, like a, um, Uno, and you just do the reverse yeah. when someone gives you a draw for. Reversal. <laughs> what, what about to get rid of the man cad? The running, you hit the ball and have to run to square leg where the umpire is. So you're running. <laughs> <laughs> so like the old continuous uh, cricket we have to run you have to run around the teacher like quick cricket yeah <laughs> i had a light bulb moment and i thought of one a oh, couple no. of weeks ago something that i would like to change maybe from a statistical point of view rather than anything else oh no one's asking you bez yeah, exactly no but it's a good idea look if they've made it this far into the podcast yeah they might as well cop my pearls of wisdom here so the last ball of an innings you should be running no matter what right i've seen too many instances where people protecting their averages have decided you know what I'm not going to take this single. So, a special consideration for the last ball of the innings, where if you run out on that last ball, it doesn't count as a dismissal to your records. 
I'm sure the batters will love that too. Because I and I and I hate bowlers, so you know <laughs> it works out beautifully. Yeah, I mean, I'd back that. I'd back it. <laughs> Bring it back. But it, it is one of those things, isn't it? I tear my hair out every time you, as a stato there in the BBL box as well. I'd be intrigued to know how many of the commentators are aware of the same thing. But um, that's a conversation oh. for another day. But it's just like, why aren't you running? Like turning and like, yeah. uh, oh, not quite. Just run. Just. <laughs> Knowing how important those runs are. Grant Grant Morgan was assistant coach for us. He had some sort of record that in his 30-odd list A games he had for franchise he was playing for, I think he was run out something like 21 of them because he would always be running at the end. Bez, maybe there is, is something. Speaking of assistant coaches, I see Craig Wright is coming back into the fold, back as assistant coach. I think it was 2016, wasn't it? was his last tour. Was he assistant coach there or what, what was his official role then? He did lead the team for a, a, a little time. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly exactly what it was, but his role has been um, assistant coach. Yeah, so it's good that it's good to have him back. Mm. So that he moved to Hong Kong not long after that, sort of a long way back to back to Scotland. He was head coach of Hong Kong Cricket Club for two and a bit years. Good to see him back in the fold. And you know, I think he's he's threatened a couple of times to leave the game, but I think uh, the experience that he brings. Well, in Scotland and outside of Scotland, so it's good to see a familiar name and face back in the fold. Yeah, I mean, yeah. His, his role is is not just purely the men's; uh, it covers the the men's and the women's game, um, as well as the development groups below that as well. So, uh, yeah, he's got great a great experience, and he'll he'll bring bring what's needed, no doubt. So, he's a good good appointment. Well done, Craig. It's been a privilege to have you guys on. Not only to have one associate player of the decade, we managed to have two. Uh, Catherine Bryce and Kyle Kutzer, amazing to have you on. Great to hear from you guys again. Good luck with everything in terms of, of Scottish and, and domestic cricket in the future. We will be looking at it with great interest. Once again, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Yes, thank you very much. Thanks for having us.